great to uh, great to be here this morning. Welcome to some friends of mine I haven't seen in a bit. I'm grateful for that uh, this morning. Uh, and for you as well, for those watching on YouTube, uh, or listening on the podcast later, a lot of them are our kids ministry workers. Super grateful for you, uh, the, those who serve in our kids ministry, those who serve everywhere here, actually. We can't do this without you, so... Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, We are in part three of a a series we are calling My Future Family. What could my future family uh, look like? And uh, a few weeks ago, we started talking about the idea of looking at our relationships because we all have them. We have relationships with all kinds of people, coworkers, uh, teachers, um, students, you know, your pastor, the people in your church, your in-home relationships, parent, child, spouse, in-laws, outlaws, uh, all of it. We have these connections. And so this morning, we just wanted to continue to take a look at what, what about our family relationships? What about the ones in our own homes? What can we learn about those? Because what we learn there will actually affect relationships outside of there as well. And so we want to talk about that. A couple of weeks ago, we started by talking about the idea that, that uh, the, every relationship is only as um, healthy as the weakest person in it, or strong as the weakest person in it. So maybe you're looking at it and going, yeah, that's the problem. They're the weakest person. Uh, and so you're like, if they could just, if something could just happen to them, this would all get, this would all be better. Uh, and then we also learned that, unfortunately, the only person in any relationship that you can fix is you. So even if they're the broken or the weaker, the only one you can actually work on is, is you. And I think if we're all honest, there's all of us have areas that we can grow in that we could be better uh, than where we're at right now. And then last week, we just looked at this one simple thing, one simple thing that even though you know you're the one, the only one who can fix you, and even though you know you're the only one who can do something, and you know what to do, it's that one thing that stops you from doing it. Anybody remember that ugly word? Pride. Pride is the ugly side of pride that causes us to like, oh, I, 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 I don't want to do it. And uh, so this morning, my hope my hope is, is this, that there's information on relationships everywhere. Some of the stuff that I'm talking about today, you can find on Andy Stanley's um, uh, relationship series. There's stuff uh, from uh, Transformation Church. There's, there's, there's just no shortage. You go on right now, media, relationship studies, you can find tons of them. So my hope tonight is, or today is not just to add more information, because it's not really what we need. We need transformation. We need what, these moments where we're just like, God... Just quiet before you. Would you speak to my heart today? As we listen to his word, my hope is that you're just listening for his voice because it's unique to each and every person, unique to each and every relationship in this place this morning. And our hope is that, that there would be transformation here, that you take something. Jesus' brother James said it this way, what are you going to do with what you heard? What are you going to do with what you heard? Because we can hear and hear and hear. And I'm not saying we, I'll even say myself, so easy just to hear and hear and hear. But what are we going to do? What are we going to do with what we hear? And so this morning, I want to start with this. Uh, you ever see couples that sit really close together? It's like they love each other. It's like you see them in the, you know, you see them in church. There's, you know, they, 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 they're, 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 um, they're not sit too close couples. Some are. I mean, I've been behind people before and there's like, you know, the back massage going on during the service. You're like, eh, you know, go home, you know. It's uh <laughs> It's this close connection, people. And yet, you know, I remember years ago in, uh, there was this couple that drove around the Nanakoke area and they were always like, it was like the two-headed monsters, what they called them. Because it's all you could see through the back of the pickup truck was, you know, one body, two heads as they were driving around. They just loved each other, loved sitting close. Sitting close actually t- says something about a relationship. You don't sit close if you're not okay. 
If things aren't right, you're not sitting close. And I even just love it even with my kids. In the morning, I'll get up and uh, I'll be sitting there. I usually wrap myself in this, um, this fuzzy blanket. I have a coffee and I sit there to do my devotions every morning. And when the kids come up, it's like the first one that comes up will usually run up and sit right beside me and snuggle in. I'm just like, oh, you know, why are you bugging me right now? But uh, then there's that, there's that part of me that just says, oh, what a, what a great moment because you know, in a few years, you know, when they're teenagers, this isn't going to happen anymore, I don't think. But, but uh, just cherishing that, that close moments. And, and then last night, some people were looking at each other like, yeah, I'm 19. I still do that with my parents. And I'm like, sweet. So maybe it can still happen. But what does it say? It says something about the relationship. There is something healthy about place people that can sit close together. And that's kind of the theme for this morning. This idea of how close are we sitting in the relationships uh, that matter in our lives. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this... Um, we looked at what Paul wrote to the early Jesus followers in Colossians, and we kind of just simply came up with this summary of the verses, and the summary just simply goes like this. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't discourage your children. This is kind of the, the Paul's, Paul's message to the Jesus followers saying, hey, this is what real family should look like. And we look at that and we think, man, that kind of seems like old school. Like, yeah, okay, that's like ideal relationships. Um, but it's almost, it's almost like an annoying a little bit, right? It's, it's, it's almost like we would ask everybody to sing that famous song from the Purple Dinosaur. If you'd look at your family and say, I love you, you love me. Some of you believe it. Some of you won't sing. Some of you won't look at each other and be like... <laughs> If only, if only it was that simple, but we're like, you know, the, the dinosaur sings it or whatever. But, or we look back and, and, and we sit, simply say, you know, this is like, Mark, this is maybe, maybe what my grandparents would have said. Like, people like this are the people who talk about family like that. Or maybe not even them. It was their grandparents. And look how happy they are. It didn't work for them. You know, why are you, why are you telling, telling us? And it's, it's not me. But it is frustrating, isn't it, when you see the ideal there's this little bit of frustration that kicks in because it's, it's not the real for so many people. That doesn't look like the real for so many relationships. For so many, and we, we hear there's marriage trouble. There's the word divorce being bandied about or, or um, consciously entered into. There's, there's the, the children obey, <laughs> children rebel, please, children, please just come home, you know, come home on time, whatever it is, or parents controlling their, their kids, or, or, or worse, that they're just absent, that they're just not even in the picture. And it's this thing of like, well, that's ideal, that ideal relationship, but it's just, it's just not real for so many. And I think the temptation that we find in our culture is to try and say, if you can just throw that the, that thing up there again, the ideal relationship. When we look at that, when we look at that, it's, it's hard for us sometimes to say, oh, you know, can we paint this picture for our culture? Because it's almost like the people who don't live that, there's like this, uh, feeling. Like, we don't want people to have that, uh, feeling. And so our culture quickly says, well, hey, don't, don't worry about it. Um, you know, there's a new normal. We don't, we don't, it, it's okay. It doesn't, you know, the ideal Every family's got some dysfunction in it. Every, more and more people are living in these things where it's not the, the, the ideal family. It's okay. There's a new normal right now. And we see the new normal in our TV shows. So you had a little glimpse. That was your tester right there. The ideal family from way back when. Anybody recognize these two families? Who's on the left? Leave it to Beaver. We do have seniors in this church. I knew we did. Um, 
Leave it to Beaver with the ideal family. And then how about this family over here? Little house on the prairie. Yeah, that's what I grew up on. You know, that these ideal family shows. You could let your kids binge watch, which they couldn't do back then, but they could if they wanted to. And it was healthy, safe TV for the family. And it was like these, these amazing families you could watch. And then now the family shows look much, much different. We have these families. Who's the top family? Then it was like a... We don't watch that. <laughs> modern family, yes. It's saying, hey, this is, this is what the modern family looks like. And then down in the bottom, this is us. Oh, man, I love that show. This is us. Hey, you know, for better, for worse, here we are. This is us. And so we have this things where the ideal used to be the ideal, and we're like, now it's kind of, it's kind of morphed into something different. It's, it's like it's changed, and it's almost like the new normal, like what, what the old normal, the old, old ideal, there's this new normal, and the new normal sometimes sounds something like this. Uh, husbands, love your husbands. Women and wives, fight for your rights. Children don't have any, but if you do, children identify as whatever you want because you're the boss, and they'll eventually figure that all out, and then fathers pay your child support. Some nervous laughter. Please don't post this online. I will get in trouble. I know that. And I know we're online. And, and the idea behind this this morning is, is not to, to offend at all in any, any way. But I think what happens with the church sometimes is that as Jesus followers, we're uh, pegged with saying we're against all of this. And just to be clear, as Jesus followers, that's not our job. Our job isn't to walk around and say, well, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, it shouldn't be this, that's, you know, that's all evil, that's all sin, or all sinners, which is what we get pegged with so often. But that's not our job. There's a judge of the world, we're just not it, and you're not it, and it's none of us. And yet, that new normal, when you read the new normal, is that what we would want for our kids and our grandkids? We just ask ourselves that question. Is that what I want for, is that what I, what I would want my kids to have to experience as they're, as they're real? Or would we hope, would we hope, maybe it's not possible in every situation, but would we hope that our kids and grandkids have the chance to experience the ideal? He's like, I don't know how to answer this question. Let me as a parent, man, I hope my kids have the chance to live the ideal where they find somebody who's so committed to them and genuinely loves that, that, that doesn't break their hearts. Man, I hope that. I hope they live long, happy lives being married. And they're, they're one of the few that say, we've been married 50 years. It wasn't all happily, but we stood through and we went through. And our kids, as a result, my grandkids someday would say, you know what? I grew up with parents that lived lives that was worth honoring and that they would be salt and light in their generation. My, my hope is that that would be for my kids. How about you? Still not. All right, then. <laughs> I, that's probably the best answer I ever heard. Somewhere in this section, I heard a hell yes. <laughs> but uh, just to, to be honest, I mean, I know in the room, it's that, ooh, that tension. But, but my question is, how did we end up here? Because, you know, the, the idea that this, this new real... The new reel is, is difficult. There's a series by Transformation Church. One of our young people sent it to us. Her name's Evie. She sent me this eight-part series, so I'm working my way through it. But they just talked about this idea that our culture, our culture keeps giving a moving target of what, I, of what ideal relationships should be. It's like, here's what we think in this day and age what the target should be, so aim for that. And then once you get there, it's like, well, we just shifted it. It's not that anymore. What was once considered ideal family is not anymore. And what we see now is going to change and be something different as you go. And and it's this thought of, hey, it doesn't matter. Whatever you want for you 
is good for you. Whatever you want it to look like, that's good for you. And what we don't realize is that you doesn't know ultimately what's good for you. We, we're always looking at an exterior target to aim for. It just depends on which one you're going to choose. Will we choose, will we choose a moving tar- target that our culture gives us? Will we put that as the target for our, for our next for our future family, will that be what we call them to aim at and say, and we're not going to give you anything, just, just aim at whatever culture's giving you? I don't know that we want that for our future family. I don't want that, know that we want that for our future relationships in our own life. Because it's interesting, as I was preparing for this, this thought came to me that, you know, when we just aim for a target that's moving, just enough time goes by that we forget when we get there that this is what we were actually aiming for. Once we get to this spot, we're like, wait a second, I'm not happy. But just rewind for a minute. Here you are, it's like everything's a mess and everything's miserable. And you're like, oh, how did I get here? We never look back to go, well, what was I aiming for when I started here? Because most of us got exactly what we were aiming for. We just didn't know that that would be the end. We didn't realize it. For instance, it was, um, <laughs> you were young ladies. Oh, please, if you're single and... and uh, Teenagers, listen, please listen close to this part right here. The rest don't matter, but this part, this part, listen real, real careful because it could save your life. How many, you know, back in the day, young women, you added, you had your list. You're looking for Mr. Right and you have a list for what he's going to look like. And on your list was tall, dark, and handsome. And you're like, yes, I check, 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 I found it. And then you find out. 30 years later that he's got dad bod. And it's like, man, he didn't stay the way that I thought he was going to stay. For so many, that is this thing of like, the, all the things are on the ex- external. When the question is, what was on the, in, what was on the internal list? Did, did you have, man, he's got to be a, a man of character. This has got to be the guy who stands up for what's right all the time. This is a guy that, that has integrity. And if you're a Jesus follower here this morning as a, as a young woman, Jesus' follower better be on the list. Like, not just, oh, he's a Christian. It says so on his profile. It's like, no, he actually follows Jesus because it matters. Oh, any older people would say along with me to the next generation, it matters? (laughs) It, It matters. Why? Because the outside stuff, it fades. I mean, not for my wife, honey, if you're listening. It's, you're still beautiful as ever. But it fades, you know, that stuff, it, it changes. But the inside stuff, that is what carries you through. For the guys on the list, as I thought about this, what are they, what's on the list? Ah, oh, smoking hot, and I hope she's okay with Netflix and chill, and, you know, whatever, uh, whatever it would be that's going to be our relationship. It's, all we do is we just keep changing the, some of you are like, what's Netflix and chill? Just don't, don't Google it. It's all good. Let me just take you to what we used to call it. It was like, these, it was like back in the day, it always changes the names. Back in the day, it was like, ah, you kind of, maybe you wanted a girlfriend who was a little easy, but not sleazy. And it was like, you were hoping that you could be friends with benefits. Any of these things ring familiar? And then it's like later on, it's like, oh, we, our dating relationship was so hot. And then the pregnancy test came. And then the shotgun wedding. And now here, 15 years later, was it really love? And you find yourself in those places because, you know, things, the things change. Was, was inner beauty on the list? Was like Peter said, she's got a quiet and gentle spirit that matters. She's a fear of the Lord. You know what? It's one of the things I'm so grateful for in my marriage is that Beth loves the Lord, because there's times where she don't love me very much, <laughs> and I'm just grateful that I'm just being honest. I'm I'm just grateful 
in those moments that she loves the Lord enough to say, you know what, I made a commitment to a person with God on that, and I honor the Lord, whether he deserves, and I don't all the time, you know, whether he deserves that love right now, I'm committed to him, and so I will love this man. Man, I'm grateful for that. But how many people aren't looking for that? They're just looking for the other things and saying, you know, having dignity and a fear of, a fear of the Lord, it matters. So young people listen to it. Why? Because it fades. Down the road, she might still be into Netflix, and she'll just tell you, chill out. You know, you're, that's it. You know, or the, the things that just, as the, as the things change, you know, whatever we thought we wanted was good until it wasn't. Oh, love is love. Everybody can just love whoever they want to love. But down the road, we find that the new normal is not easy. It's not easy. Because a lot of times we look at the other target and we're like, well, that's not easy. Well, this one isn't either. This one isn't either. It sounds, it sounds good, but it's not. The interesting thing is that Jesus and the New Testament writers gave us a target that wasn't moving and hasn't moved. That a target back then that was contrary to everything, they, they, it wasn't like back then everybody lived this way with this, this summary here. Can we throw that back up there again? This ideal, it wasn't like everybody was living that way. They weren't. They were living crazy, crazy lives, but they painted this ideal saying, as Jesus followers, here's a target to shoot for. Here's a target to shoot for. And I know that for many of us, we're not living this ideal in every day of our lives. And the thing is, right away, this guilt complex can come in. It's like, and others would think, what's Jesus going to do to those people who don't live that way? Jesus isn't going to do anything to those people. If you're here this morning and say, the ideal has not been my life, there's no condemnation. Jesus came to do something for those kind of people. For people who've suffered hurt, heartbreak as a result of these things not going ideally. He came to do something good for you. He came to do something good for me. And so this morning, you know, I just simply want to talk about one thing. We'll do it quick. One thing that can actually help, help improve each of these relationships. Because we know there's one thing that will hinder them all, and it's pride. But what if there was one thing that could improve them all? Could change, the, could change the narrative in, in our generation and for the next one. So, because there's four on the list, let's just start with the uh, toughest one. Anybody have any idea what one that might be? Let's see. The survey says, wives, <laughs> submit to your husbands. Because this is the one that just feels so old school. And some of you are like, yeah, we're about to get married. We're not putting that on the list. Like, That's not going in our marriage vows, you know. Um, it comes from this verse, Ephesians 5, verse 22. Paul writing to the Ephesians says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And this is one of the verses that just makes it, it's just like, oh, something in there. It's like, oh, the Bible, see, that's why. The Bible's not relevant anymore. That's so old school. It's been like um, less than 100 years where women have had the uh, ability to vote, or the right to vote in Canada. 50, in the 50s and 60s, it was fighting for, for equality and uh, in the workplace, and we still find now that women are still not treated equal in the workplace, and there's still that fight for that. And you're like, this just seems like we're going backwards when you do that. We're just going to undo everything and put women back in their rightful place, and that is not, that is not at all what is going on in this verse. Uh, let's take a look at the words for a minute. Paul's writing to wives, so if the husbands stop listening, because this is not written to you, you're never allowed to use this. You know, wife submit. And many don't do that anymore. But this idea of submitting to your own husbands, it wasn't the idea of just submit to men in general as if women were inferior. Some translate that submit word, some um, versions translate it as the word respect. Because respect sounds better, no? Respect your husband. Yeah, I could do that because respect simply means deep admiration, uh, quality of their qualities or their achievements, or some have some regard for their feelings, their wishes, and their rights. It's very passive in its, in its approach. There's a course out there called Love and Respect that simply says women need to be loved and men need respect. 
you know, manners like R-E-S-P-E-C-T, that's what marriage means to me. And, and, the, and the, the, the women are like, well, yeah, it's just earn it then, you know, if, it's just, if you want the respect. The truth is both need both. Men and women both need respect. Men and women both need love. Uh, and the idea um, in this is that, that there's, it's like two chairs. In our relationship, it's like, it's like there's these two seats. Sorry, Scott, I'm going to take your uh, footrest and make a mess in the process. I should have planned for this before. It's like all of our relationships, we have this, this gap in between it of some sort where it's like, you know, when you got married or when you were dating, this was you and your, this was you and your significant other. And then you got married and they don't know kids came along and there's just this little bit of drift. It's not an angry gap all the time. It's just a, it's just a gap. It just seems like things drift. And in, in our relationships, we, we sit and we're kind of like, we're, we're this. We talk about stuff, but we're not, we're not that close anymore. And we have, we have a seat for other people. You know, we have our, like, our kids are here and the, and the gap. And then sometimes as they grow to teenagers, they grow to here. And then we've got a seat for like our mother-in-law, like somewhere in Cayuga. And we, we have... We have these connection relationships all, all over the place that there's this difference of spacing. And father-in-law's in Cuba too, for those who just got to be fair. And then you get these things where the chairs get further apart, you know, that, that idea of submit. Well, the word submit simply means this, subject oneself, obey, yield to. If you look up the Blue Letter Bible, it says this is a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. You hear that, and that creates this tension because so many women um, have felt used by this type of thought pattern of the submit, and they don't read it like this, voluntary attitude. They read it more like this, where it's a demanded attitude of giving up, doing all the work, taking full responsibility, I need to learn how to type, and carrying the whole load. It feels like that can be the thing, and that's not what Paul's trying to convey at all. And for some of you, spiritual things and that old school mentality to say, this is what the Bible says, but that's not what Paul said at all. Did Jesus ever belittle women? Never. Did he ever treat them as possessions? Never. The reason we don't in our culture is because of Jesus, but the context is so important. Paul had previously been instructing the Ephesians as he wrote this letter to them. He wrote this in verse, uh, verse 1 of that chapter, chapter 5. He said this, imitate God. He says, as Jesus followers, so to the Jesus followers in the room, this pay attention. For those who are not Jesus followers, this will still work for you. He's like, imitate God in everything you do because you're his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Not control, not whatever. Live just life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Verse 17, he says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do in your relationships, in the way you connect with people. Understand how God wants you to live. Not just, oh, I have an idea, but really get it, really understand it. And, And as they look at you know, Paul would have said, Jesus, Jesus taught this radical way of love. Love others as, as he loved you. Not love others because they deserve it. Because guess what? Sometimes they don't, right? No, just in my family? <laughs> Sometimes they just do stuff. They're like, oh, it takes everything on the inside. You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you is what Jesus uh, said not th- this, this thought, don't do to others what they've done to you or do to others what, what they deserve because what happens? The gap gets bigger. The sitting close together gets further apart. And so he simply said to them, you know, he said, hey, I want you to imitate God. I want you to follow the example of Christ. Understand what God wants you to do. In verse 21, he says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's like that idea of everybody yield to everybody. 
Everyone submit to everyone. See, the, the wives submit to your husbands. The word submit's not even in there. Paul's borrowing it from this verse, which is right before. He says, everyone submit to everyone. Everyone submit to everyone. Everyone subject yourselves to, yield to, cooperate with everyone. Everyone have a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying the burden. See, Paul's saying if everybody does that for everybody, we can move the chair closer to everybody. I can move the chair closer to my spouse, can move the chair closer to my teen, can move the chair a little closer to Cayuga as needed. Right? It's this idea of being able to move these relationships closer. And so what Paul said to this group of Jesus followers, all of them, hey, everybody submit to everybody. Then he gives specific examples of how that works for individuals. That's where the rest of it comes from, Ephesians 5.22. He says, hey, this idea of everybody subject, be uh, submitted to everybody, he says, for wives, that just simply means submit to your husbands. Yield, voluntary to your husbands. Why? Because they have to submit to you as well. It goes both ways. Everybody submits to everybody. He says, for wives, do it as unto the Lord, not as unto your husband, but as unto the Lord. He says, for husbands, verse 25, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Not just love them, but love them in that way. He gave up his life for her. You know, I just want to do all my stuff. I want to play hockey every Friday night, Saturday night, Thursday night, whatever. It's like, you take care of the kids. It's that idea of, no, like, what, what would you give up in your own life for, for her benefit? He says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. He's like, man, it makes sense for you to love your spouse, to treat them with kindness and respect and patience and, and, and goodness and self-control and not proud and all those things that love really is. Man, how many of you wish you were married to a man like that? Don't raise your hands. But I think we would all say, man, we wish we had th that type of person in our, in our relationships. He, and Paul's saying, listen, you're doing it for your own benefit. So I watch some of the marriages in trouble. It's like, don't you realize that you're actually hurting yourself by hurting that person? No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. He repeats it, I think, for all the husbands. So uh, then Ephesians 6, verse 1. He goes on and says, with children, children, obey your parents. That's how you submit. That's how you live that thing out. So children, again, yield to your parents. Oh, my parents, they, they're so old school. They, don't, they haven't had a new thought since like the 70s. It's like, this is just like, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. And what does he say? He's like, you know what? Honor them. Honor your father and mother because it matters. He, said, this, you know, he says, this is the first commandment that actually had a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. It's true, isn't it? Oh, man, things will go so much better for you. You will have a long life on the earth. The opposite being, you know, dishonor them, that may not be the case. Fathers, he says, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Why? Because fathers, parents were yielding to children. Like, wow, that seems, that seems kind of crazy, kind of brand new. But he says, you know what? Bring them up into the discipline and instruction. By, by submitting to them, you're bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord so they learn that mutual respect and mutual submission. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Uh, and then it says even, even with the, the slaves and masters, employees and, and bosses, the same idea, this serve one another. Why? It's always in light of the fact that we're connected to Christ, that our connection to Christ should affect our relationships around us, that our connection to Christ should affect our relationships around us. So this thought, everybody submitting to everybody, it's this idea of mutual submission. I'm going to leverage all of me 
so that I can move a little closer to you. I will offer what I, what, what I have for your benefit. And as a result, the chair moves closer. It's a powerful dynamic. Probably the most powerful in any relationship is when both sides decide to do it. I'll leverage all of me for, for the benefit of us. I'll leverage all of me for the benefit of us. And the chairs move closer. What would it look like in your relationships if that was happening? And you're like, well, I don't know how to do a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. That's a nice definition, but how do I do that? Andy Stanley put it this way, and I love it. Just one simple sentence. It's this. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? It's a simple statement saying, for the people that matter in my life, if I could ask them this question, what can I do to help? I am voluntarily putting myself in an attitude where I want to cooperate for the benefit of us. What can I do to help? And you look at that and like, that's not going to make my life easier. (laughs) It's true. But what if everyone in your life asked you that once a day? Your kids ask you, hey, mom, what can I do to help? Hey, dad, what can I do to help? Your, Your wife or your spouse or... Husband asks, what can I offer in this moment just that's going to be the better for the both of us that we move in, in the direction? It goes against the grain inside of us, though. When you see that, it's like we're born to think about all of us. Man, you don't know, like, my tasks, it's going to, I'm already busy. I don't have time. My tasks, my life, my stress, my stuff is more important than their life, their tasks, their stuff, their stress. And really, it isn't, but we just have been raised to think that way. Teens, I dare you to ask your parents this. They might have a heart attack. (laughs) Hey, Dad, what can I do to help? And if you want bonus points, ask in front of your friend's parents. Hey, what can I do? Like, wow, wow, that parent, they're going to feel like an awesome parent raising kids like that. My daughter, Reese, is phenomenal at this already, and she's an inspiration to me even in it. But, you know, what if the kids ask that question? What can I do to help? What if parents asked you that question? As teens, if your parents sat down with you and said, hey, you're going through stuff, what can I do to help? Because a lot of times it's like, hey, this is what I want you to do, but it keeps the conversation from going negative. It, it tells your kids, hey, I'm here for you. I've been dealing with this one thing with one of my, one of my kids that, that um, his, his initial response to everything is anger, and as soon as the anger, it's like punch. That just is, like, that, just is that thing. And so we're always like, fine. Some of you were raised that way. Please come help me because uh, as, as we've been having this conversation with him, I'm like, someday he's going to punch the wrong guy and that guy's going to just destroy him, right? And so I'm like trying to work this through. And then, you know, even this week, just going over some of the stuff was just sitting down saying, son, how can I, how, what can I do to help? And we had this great conversation in the end. We're sitting together on the couch and it was like, I see this moment. You know, I wear the, I'm aware that you have a burden what can I do to help carry it? What if we ask these questions at our work, you know, at our job sites with the, the people that we work with, this, in our marriages, in, in our church, in our families, in our school? Hey, teach, what can I do to help? Where are those kids? You know, but there is a barrier. There's a barrier that gets in the way of that. It's that, that, that answer you're afraid they're going to give. It's that fear of like, oh, no, I, I, Mark, I can't go home. It's like the husband's going to go home today and just be really brave and be like, Hey, uh, honey, um, what can I do to help? And she'll be like, oh, finally, I've got the garage full of Ikea stuff that needs to be put together. And you're like, oh, I knew it, I knew it. You know where the wife's going to ask, honey, what can I do to help? And I have no idea. I have no idea. You know, or the, 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 the kids are like, 
oh man, like, okay, dad, what can I do to help? Oh, good, I'm glad you asked. You know, there's, there's, there's uh, the, the whole basement needs to be cleaned out. Or are you going to pick all the weeds in the, the whole yard and the neighbor's yard? Are you going to go shovel the driveway and it's like a kilometer long or whatever it is? It's like, oh, I know it's going to be this, this crazy thing. Or if your parents, you ask your kids, what can I do to help? Oh, well, it would really help if I could have unlimited screen time today. You know, or whatever, whatever it is you're afraid. You know, but that fear, that fear that wants to stop us from that, Paul actually explains where our fear should be in Ephesians 5.21. We close with this. Further, he says, submit to one another out of reverence, out of fear for Christ. Just out of this honoring to Christ, out of that submission to Christ. It's not about I'm worried about what they're going to ask. And they may ask some big things and it may be like, okay, well, that was about five days worth of what can I do to help? So I'll wait a few days before I ask again. Whatever it is. But I can tell you, I can promise you that by asking this question, you can bring the chairs closer together. And does that, what does it mean? Like if this idea of mutual submission saying, oh, hey, you know, what can I do to help? I'm like, oh, no, what can I do to help? Oh, no, what can, what can I do? Like, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. It's like, it's nobody going to go. It's like a four-way stop where no one's going to drive. No one's going to go anywhere. You're like, this is, the, this is the problem. But let me, just, let, me, let me just say this. It doesn't change your role. It just simply changes the way you're using that role to relate to the others in your relationship. You're still the parent. You're still the parent, but you're using, you're leveraging your, your parenting for their benefit. You're still the husband. You're still the wife, but you're leveraging it for their benefit. You're still, you're still the child, but you're leveraging what you have for the benefit of somebody else. What can I do to help? And in closing, for Jesus followers here this morning, I would ask for a show of hands, but then it's like, might be self-incriminating because this very next point means, just simply says it's not optional for us. It's really not optional for us. It's this thing of, I got to find a way to do this because it's a command of his. And we're like, man, you know, this command that Jesus gives us, this is the way I loved, I want you to love. It's, it's difficult. We're like, we're tempted to say, ah, I, I, I'll just forget about it. I remember studying this years ago. And for some of you, it's like, we've taught about this years ago. And I remembered having this thing and, and it, was hel- it was healthy and great for our relationship. And then somewhere along the line, it got lost. And so what I've done is just wrote sticky notes. And I put sticky notes. What can I do to help on my computer screen? So that... Every day I'll be reminded just of that thing that, you know what, this is what I really do want to do for my relationships. This is something I really want to do. Have I asked it yet today? Have I asked it yet today? And for Jesus followers, it's just so important. That's a command for us. And for those who aren't Jesus followers, I think this last thought is is, is just one of the reasons why I think you should be a Jesus follower. Because this is how I picture it happening. Why should we say, hey, what can I do to help? It's because it's what Jesus did for us. And you can just picture, you know, Heavenly Father and, and Jesus in heaven and, and realizing that if I look at my life and I look at the chairs between me and God, this chair can't go far enough away. It can't go far enough because of the brokenness in here, the sin in here, the stuff that I've wronged people, the stuff that, that I know that no one else knows, that, that, that darkness in here that separates us. I think one of the songs is how great the chasm that stood between us. And Heavenly Father and Jesus together, looking, heartbroken, wanting me, wanting you, because you're in that seat too. Simply saying, what can I do to help? And Heavenly Father saying, hey, son, I know what you can do to help, but you're not going to like it. It's going to cost you everything. Will you value their lives more than your own? Will you submit to the death of a cross to win them back? Son, they might take advantage of you, They might take advantage of you saying, hey, what can I do to help? And I fear that there's even worse than that. They might not not take advantage of what you've done for them. 
You might give your life for them. You might pay for their sin and they might still choose not to accept that. You'll go through all the pain and they'll simply still say, nah, I don't want the relationship. There's people here in this room this morning, that might be you. That might be you. That you realize, yeah, I'm far away from God and you think you've got to do stuff to get back to God or maybe you came to church today to try and get some, some brownie points with God or I don't, I don't know God what you think, but I'm going to try and be a better person. And he's simply saying to you this morning, would you just simply trust what I've done for you? I'm offering forgiveness. I'm offering relationship with the God of the universe. He's not offering church. He's not offering more rules. He's not offering try to be a better person. He's saying, hey, I want to sit closer to you. If you'll put your trust in me, I'll bring the chair close. You can know the God of the universe. But he gave you the choice. Gave you the choice. Have you chosen that? I think it should. I think you should. I think you should consider it. And that's why he asks us, saying, hey, I've done it to bring us close. And because we're close, I want you to be close with the others around you. So would you simply ask them, hey, what can I do to help? What can I do to move the chairs closer so we can sit closer together? What if everyone in your life asked you that this week? Let's just forget about them because we can't change them. What if you ask one person in your life this week, what can I do to help? You'll be living like your heavenly father. See, I always wonder, God, how do I be more like you? One question. Can we say it together? One more time. Okay, two more times. And last. And I hope you wake up tomorrow morning saying, what can I do to help? Well, where did that come from, right? Your life will be better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you. Uh, God, thanks for coming to fix what's been so broken. Thanks for loving us in our brokenness. And as I think about relationships all around this room, that you didn't come to judge or condemn. Just heartbroken for where we find ourselves. So Father, I pray for those in tough spots right now. God, may they sense your love and your, your grace over their lives today. May they know that that they're not, we're not disqualified by being far, that you came to bring us near. Lord, I, I just pray that as we leave this place, that we'd be sensitive to your voice on the inside. Every situation's different. Everything's so different. God, would you speak to our hearts this week just with that little trigger, that we would know and take the steps to move these relationships closer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thanks for coming for us, Jesus. Thank you for the cross and everything that you paid for me. And for those in this room, it's worth it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, we love you. We want to leave today just honoring you and your gift. It's in your name that I pray, amen.